What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I want to take you on a trip to Imagination Station for the whole entire episode. That's right, we're exploring the world of imagination. What is imagination? Do animals have an imagination? And can your imagination run as wild as nature itself? Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, what's the point of having a broom for a butt? So, what is imagination? I know that I sound like I'm about to start singing a song about imagination, but I'm not. Imagination can mean a number of things. It can mean your ability to invent things or new concepts. It can be the mental pictures you produce in your brain, something that, as we'll discuss later, is not as straightforward as it seems. There's the childlike imagination of having imaginary friends, or the imagination it takes to create a work of art. One thing's for sure, imagination is what separates the brilliant human mind from the animals. Or is it? You know me better by now, we're about to talk about how us smug humans aren't as unique as we thought. Joining me to talk about imagination is comic artist and author of The Red Dot, Kim Winder. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm like super excited about our topic actually. Yeah. It's like right in my lane. <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes when I'm writing notes, I kind of try to think about what my guests might want to talk about. And mm-hmm. I've been reading your comics and yeah, they're very imaginative. I I think that's kind of a big thing about being a comic artist is thinking up, making connections that you don't normally make and then drawing them down. Well, I appreciate it. So I what I lack in actual talent, I'll make up for imagination, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're being too hard on yourself. But yeah, it's. I, I, think, I, I think that's one of the things that makes 
that makes us feel human is having that imagination, being able to creatively apply our ideas in art, in comedy, in comics, in movies. But I do kind of want to talk about how we're not unique in the animal kingdom uh, in terms of being able to have an imagination. Now, I'm not sure that any animals have learned to do comic artistry, so <laughs> you're safe right now in terms of like... Thank goodness. Yeah, like pigeons taking over your job. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but unlike for me, a podcaster, I believe that time <laughs> is nigh. I mean, birds can already talk, so... You know. Oh, yeah. No, my dog would be all over the podcast industry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my dog would be all over my face and the podcast <laughs> industry and just like breathing heavily into the mic. And you know what? I bet it'd be more successful than me. You know what? Dogs just have the, that advantage. So I that, I can't argue with it. That natural charisma. Yeah. I, I, yeah maybe I should start a new podcast called Dog Sounds. But anyways, <laughs> until then, uh, let's talk about animals' imaginations. So in the strictest sense, uh, we already know that rats have been absolutely proven to have an imagination. Measurements of their brain activity shows them planning out routes through mazes, both while conscious or while dreaming. So we know that animals can imagine things, like they mm -hmm. can conceptualize things, like a uh, rat is thinking of going through a maze. It's gone through a maze before. Researchers have measured the brain activity, found a pattern, and they see that rat is repeating that pattern when it's not in the maze. So it's, it's thinking about being it, in the maze. So it can remember and adapt next right. time it's put through it. Precisely, yeah. That's kind of understandable that mm -hmm. animals would be able to do at least at least that but when we think about imagination we think of more than just remembering things and locations and uh, actually in coming up with new things or being able to think in a kind of symbolic manner and in fact I think that one of the most compelling cases of imagination in animals is in primates and I think it through a variety of observational research, it's pretty clear to me, at least, that primates definitely have an imagination that's close to what humans have. So researchers observed a juvenile chimpanzee named Kakama uh, pick up a log and carry it around, treating it like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> he made a nest for it and cared for it, and Aww. the researchers called it Kakama's toy baby, just this log that he's using as like a baby chimpanzee doll. That must have been the cutest log. Like <laughs> <laughs> adorable, chubby cheeked log. Exactly. The softest log ever. Yeah, it's got like two stick arms exactly. and like a face made out of knots and roots. Yeah, yes. that, it, it's, it is, I don't know, it's like, that's a behavior you would see in a child picking up a toy and, and loving it like a baby doll. And then to totally. see it in a chimpanzee is, I don't know, it, it's almost spooky in a way to see how similar that is. Right? Like, it makes sense, because what else is the primate going to do besides just sit there and wait to eat, sleep, you yeah. know, that. So to keep itself entertained, just personify an object that yeah that is really interesting yeah or chimpanzonify Ch chimpify an object i'm for it just don't ask me to spell it <laughs> <laughs> 
Also, a bonobo named Kanzi has been studied by primatologists extensively, and this is a pretty remarkable individual. So Kanzi was in a research program that tried to teach primates lexigram language, so that's symbols used to represent whole words. Oh, okay. Like I... Hydroglyphics? Yeah, yeah. Okay. um, Like hieroglyphics. Yeah, exactly. When they were trying to teach Kanzi's mother, like she wasn't interested at all. She wasn't really taking to it. Mm -hmm. But Kanzi was there just uh, accompanying the mother because like, they, they don't want to be separated. That would yeah. distress them, so the researchers would keep them together. You can't but, just give them a log. and <laughs> <laughs> Like, here's your, here's your uh, replacement, your yeah. substitute log for your baby. <laughs> uh, but actually, Kanzi picked up on the lessons, even though he wasn't being explicitly taught. And he was able to learn how to use the lexigrams to communicate in limited ways. So when he hears a spoken word, he can actually point to the correct lexigram. Mm -hmm. And he can also use this like lexigram to do novel things. So the the researchers will point to lexigrams as a command. So like like feed the ball some tomato, which doesn't really make that much sense. Mm -hmm. But when he sees it, he like picked up a ball-shaped object and tried to feed it tomato, <laughs> which is something actually they, they tested it, him up against a toddler and the toddler didn't know what to do with that. But smarter than a toddler. There you go. So, okay, hold on. If, if he can do that and he has thumbs, mm-hmm. he just needs to get an iPad mm-hmm. and he can start his own comics. So oh, honestly... Boy. Not, not feeling too uh, good not, right now. Great <laughs> news for Kim today. Yeah, I mean he's close. He's getting close because he knows what symbols are. Exactly. He oh, and actually he's he knows how to use tools too. So he was able to be taught how to create stone flakes. So that's sharp edges of a rock that have been split off, like flaked off, mm-hmm. and then that sharp edge is used in like I mean it was used by prehistoric humans and a lot of things and human ancestors and Neanderthals to uh, create tools and as basically as these very simple knives. And like he was taught how to do this in order to cut a rope to get a food reward and he was able to do it. Dang. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we've armed (laughs) the super intelligent bonobo Mm -hmm. with a knife, taught it how to use language. You know, next we'll give it an iPad and it'll just, you know, i got to watch my back. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming for you. But yeah, the reason I bring up Kanzi is not just to brag about how smart he is, but also to show how imagination works in a very smart animal. So Kanzi has been observed playing make-believe with imaginary objects. He will hide imaginary objects under blankets or leaves, and then he'll like later come back, lift up the blanket or leaf, take Mm -hmm. out the imaginary object, and pretend like he's eating it, like it's this, like a fake piece of food that he's hidden there. That's cool. Yeah, which wow. is something that I feel like I do when I'm watching cooking shows, like pretend, like exactly. I've, I've been really into the Great British Bake Off. Have you seen that? I've heard they're incredibly nice to each other. Very sweet. Um, Usually not what you look for in reality TV. You no. look for people just viciously bullying each other. Um, <laughs> but it is actually very refreshing for it them to just be nice yeah well i can't sit and watch those things just because like you're saying i i could have eaten an entire right. meal and right. now right oh my god and i'm just salivating pretending like one of 
their delicious savory eclairs is in my hands Thanks. and like shoving yes. it in my mouth. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't make it better. But I think Kanzi has a better imagination than I do. And he will also take these. So like he's hidden a fake berry under a leaf or something. We don't know what it is. We can't read Kanzi's mind, but he's yeah. hidden a fake piece of food under a leaf. And then he takes it out and he's like playing with this imaginary thing. And then he'll like pretend to hand it to someone and then he'll watch what they do which really reminds me of what children do. Some of my cousins have, have babies, and it's really fun to, like, they'll try to get you involved in, like, imagination things, and, like, they'll hand you something, and you're like, I don't I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what you right? want. And you can tell they want a specific thing. Like, they hand you a leaf, and it's like, that leaf is a race car, and mm-hmm. you will treat it as such, or there will be consequences. Oh, yeah. No, uh, my nephews, he he's four, so he's super into, like, the action figures. Mm-hmm. And we were playing with it off uh, the couch, and he pushed my action figure off the couch very rudely. But suddenly the couch turned into the most giant cliff ever, mm. and then he burst into flames, apparently, when okay. he hit the bottom. Well, that's what happens when you fall off a cliff, generally. I, yeah, that's what I get for not being a very strong superhero. <laughs> <laughs> so your nephew killed your superhero? Um, yes, but then he brought him back and okay. uh, kissed him on the forehead. Oh, so, well, yeah, then that's fine. Yeah, we made up. It, it's Burst good. into flames, th- you know, like a bun- burns all over his body, but a kiss on the forehead, that makes it all better. The power of imagination. Power <laughs> of imagination. It heals all <laughs> grievous wounds. Another instance of a primate showing incredible imagination was in a chimpanzee named Vicky, who was raised by humans in a human home. Generally not recommended, I would say, for chimpanzee. She would have these pull toys. So a pull toy is like a toy on wheel, like a wooden duck or a horse that you pull along. I'm not really sure they... That people have those anymore. I was thinking like uh, pool as in swimming. Oh, so pool. a noodle. Sorry, no, that's just my weird, <laughs> weird Southern Californian accent. It's a pole toy. <laughs> a pole toy. Much quainter and way cuter yeah. than a noodle. A pool noodle. I yeah. do I do like the pool noodles, though. They're, they're fun. fun to pretend like they're a giant lightsaber. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she had she was Pulling around, she would pull around these pull toys, mm-hmm. and then uh, she would also reportedly sometimes pretend to be pulling a toy that is not there, like an invisible toy. Okay. She's dragging her hand behind her, pretending to pull it along, and then she would pause and like yank on it as if it's stuck somewhere, and sometimes <laughs> even wait for her caretaker to come over mm-hmm. and then like fix the 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 toy up before she kept going along. So. It's a really interesting case of this imaginative play. Yeah. That's and then making the caretaker get involved right. in the play. Which so. is yeah, which is what we saw with uh Kanzi who's a bonobo and mm-hmm. this is a diff- this is a chimpanzee and they both were trying to get human beings who to them are their, you know, companions yeah. um because they're in these artificial environments. They would try to get them involved in the pretend play, which is something children do, human children. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that really interesting because I think it, the implication being that imaginative play has some kind of social aspect to it as well. Definitely. And, really. Yeah, and that's something we also share with bonobos and chimpanzees is the ex- high levels of socializing. Mm-hmm. And that's it, it's, it's really interesting to see how they use that as a way to communicate with humans. It's all going to regress, though, when they get their own version of the Great Bake Off and right. everyone just stays in their little caves right. and watch uh, chimpanzee Netflix. And like <laughs> the, the 
the great Bonobo Bake Off, and it's just like uh, <laughs> just a mound of poop that they've like <laughs> like, and then they have like Harry Berry, which is oh, the judge no. for the the Bonobo Bake Off, and she's like she's like. I like how you've how you've constructed this poop cake. The flavor's quite very poopy. I would say I, I don't like your your use of leaves as decor. I want one of them, one of the judges, to be a log, and it's just, it's just like, a it log falls over. Face. <laughs> that's oh, the that's worst perfect. insult. <laughs> but the log has voted you off. Sorry, <laughs> Ta-ta. Yeah, but it's not just primates that seem to have some a, a way of visualizing the world through imagination. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about sloth bears. Uh, first, I, I have to show you a picture of a sloth bear because they're very oh, goofy I've, looking. Yeah. 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 Okay. They're really cute bears. They're smaller bears. Uh, they weigh around 100 to 200 pounds, for, which for bears, not that, not no, that big. No, not at all. And they are native to India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. They live in rainforests, savanna, and grasslands, kind of a wide variety of habitat. Uh, and they are kind of shaggy. They've got this black shaggy fur. They've mm-hmm. got a little white bib strap around their chest and these these floppy, shaggy ears. I think that kind of bear was the model for Baloo from The Jungle Book. Oh, interesting, yeah. Because it fits his character, too, like very laid-back kind of stoner yeah. vibe. Or <laughs> Bill Murray yeah. vibe, whatever. No, totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, they do amble along in a very, like, kind of sauntering, lazy vibe, like in the way that I think Blue was animated, that kind of like, yeah. you know, like little loosey-goosey kind of walk. They kind of flap their paws on the ground in this sort of dopey way. Exactly. They actually... Are despite looking kind of dopey and goofy, they can run faster than a person can, and they can climb trees very efficiently. The uh, yeah, <laughs> which is like you can't. It's hard to imagine blue like you know four twenty blaze it and then suddenly climbing a tree, but that is what they do. Ate the last of Doritos. He's coming <laughs> after you. <laughs> he's gone that Dorito high now. Exactly. Yeah, flaming hot Cheetos energy that comes upon you. Yes, <laughs> very dangerous. But they have the reason they're called sloth bears is they have really long claws like mm-hmm. a sloth, which they can use in combat, but mostly it's used to dig up their favorite food, which is termites, ants, and other insects. Oh, mine too. Oh, great. Yeah, you have protein. something in common. Yeah, a lot of protein. You know, it's true that a lot of processed foods will have some insect parts in it because of factories and how just stuff is. You know, like Mm -hmm. if you make bread and you gather a bunch of grain, chances are you're going to have insects in it. And at first that kind of disturbed me. Yeah. And now it's just like, hey, free protein, you know? Well, my life was forever changed when I found out like red velvet cupcakes because those were my favorite. Yeah. The red comes from like a certain beetle in the dye. Yeah, red dye. Okay, so there's there's a couple of different red dyes, and there's a red dye that does not come from insects, but there is another red dye that is is synthesized from, I think, a type of beetle. It like it sounds like it could be just an urban legend. Like my mom wanted me to stop eating cupcakes. <laughs> I don't think it is actually. No, it's not. Okay. Yeah, so here's here's the straight up facts about insect dye <laughs> that I definitely did not Google just now. The uh, it, it's a it's called a cochineal insect, 
I'm sure pronounced that good, uh, the insect actually creates a carminic acid that is used to deter predation, but that carminic acid can also be used to make carmine dye, which is a red dye, and carmine is used in food and lipstick. It's I guess it's natural red number four. Okay. <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> I can actually, so it's interesting for me, red dye tastes nasty. Now, I'm not sure if it's this type of red dye, but there is a, t a flavor of red dye, uh, and a lot of people can't taste it. Mm -hmm. Some people can taste it. I'm one of the unfortunate people who can taste it. I'm sorry. So red velvet cupcakes, if it's made with that dye, tastes like ass to me. <laughs> it's Well, probably saving yourself for, you know those actual termites and beetles that <laughs> are more healthier. Exactly. The healthier, the uh, give me a beetle cupcake over a red dye cupcake any day. <laughs> but yeah, so these sloth bears will suck up termites and ants from their mounds. They actually have, one of the reasons they look so doofy and dopey is mm -hmm. they have really long lips. And so their lower lip kind of protrudes and they make this really loud sucking noise when vacuuming up the termites <laughs> out of their mouth, just like. That's how you know it's good. Yeah. 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 And they'll use their long claws to dig up and then they suck and shove their nose in and snort and suck. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they'll, you know, suck on their paws and there have been documented cases of them sucking on certain other things at zoos that are is a little socially awkward for you. Like, right? No. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's it, what would you do if you were stuck in a zoo all day? Exactly. Not, it, yeah, not not do that. Not not do that. Yeah, like, not explore the possibilities of things. We just. We satisfied our appetite. Appetite. Right. Now we got other appetites. Exactly. <laughs> Look. Wa wash your hands. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. So the reason I bring up sloth bears is that they actually have been researched about their ability to understand the connection between symbols and like imagining a certain food and that actual food. So researchers have presented sloth bears with an assortment of two-dimensional pictures that represent the food that they like. So mm -hmm. mealworms, nuts, raisins, kibble, oranges, various like photo, sort of simplified photos of these things, high definition that are on this 2D thing. Yeah. And they'll show it to the bear and the bear will look at it and like snort <laughs> at the food that they want. <laughs> and then they will receive that food. So they were trained that when they like snort at it, yeah. then they get that food. And that snorting behavior is associated with like when they find a food that they want they snort and snuffle off and guess it up just like they That's do with ants. Get it. That's cool. Yeah and so zookeepers are hopeful that this will help them determine like give the bears some more choice at, mm -hmm. at zoos like captive bears especially because one of the problems with keeping animals at zoos in captivity even if it's a really humane zoo like the san diego zoo where they are kept in really nice environment it's mm -hmm. still a lack of space it's not ideal and animals can get bored and when they get bored and have a lack of stimulation and a lack of control over their environment mm -hmm. they can actually start doing these kind of ocd like behaviors now it's not I actually have OCD. It's not quite OCD, but it's a similar thing where they do these compulsive, repetitive behaviors yeah. like compulsive grooming. They'll like lick bald patches into their fur. But giving them control over their environment has shown to be effective in 
helping them in this way and, and making them less bored and making them uh, more psychologically healthy. Mm-hmm. So giving them a choice in their food and their diet is thought to perhaps uh, give them a healthier um, or giving giving them a better state of mind, keeping them in a better mood. And it's really funny because these bears definitely have overall preferences for food. So mm-hmm. they seem to prefer mealworms, nuts, prunes, and raisins, which, you know, makes okay. sense, tasty stuff. And they all basically hate kibble and oranges. I was going to say, like, out of all of it, even the the insects, okay, yes, because they're bears and it mm-hmm. exists in nature. Where do we get kibble? Like, yeah. eh, just throwing kibble. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, that is, it it is an interesting thing to show that these animals will often prefer these fresh natural foods versus kibble. And it it is something to, I guess, note when we're keeping these wild animals in captivity of like, it's kind of hard to keep them happy with just, you know, kibble and stuff. You can't just give them sort of a tray of brown pellets and expect them to necessarily be happy about it. Oh, no. My dog, he's just every day, same thing. So excited. Cannot wait until he has his dog food. Yeah. But he's also... He's also a domesticated dog. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and also, I mean, my dog is not too much of a picky eater, but Mm -hmm. definitely I will change. I've been chasing chasing the kibble to find her favorite brand and I, I think I finally found one that she goes nuts for because there are other brands of kibble that she's not so interested in. What kind of pup do you have? She's a she's a an amalgamation of small dogs kind of like all shoved into one tiny unit of pure <laughs> fury. She's a I think she's a terrier and a spaniel mixed with a chihuahua or something. Oh man. Um yeah. There's a there it's a it's just a ball of kind of just intense energy uh yeah but she's she's not too picky but she definitely enjoys the fancier kibble which is great thanks for having expensive (laughs) taste dog and then of course she likes the enrichment of having like different types of food in addition to the kibble yeah well my my pup charlie he just he's totally fine eating the same rachel ray dog food over and over and just yeah but he he only likes to eat when i'm eating oh that's interesting he's a social eater yeah he won't eat until i have food and then he gets mad that i'm not eating right right just sits in a huff yeah yeah (laughs) i mean you gotta join him join in put your phone down join him at the dinner table and have an actual conversation yes Where does imagination happen in the brain? Well, as you may know, things don't necessarily always live in parts of the brain. You don't have a circle of brain tissue that serves as your imagination palace because the brain is interconnected with parallel processes and patterns of neural activity. But that's not to say we can't take a stab at the question of where and how imagination is processed. And it turns out that imagined events take a different path from reality inside our heads. A study by Tononi et al. published in Neuroimage found that imagination flows differently in the brain than reality. When you're looking at an image, neural activity flows up from the occipital lobe at the back of your brain towards the parietal lobe at the top of your brain. 
When you're imagining something, neural activity flows in the opposite direction, down from the parietal lobe to the occipital lobe. This doesn't mean imagination originates in the parietal lobe, simply that it seems to travel in a certain path through the brain. But imagination isn't the same for everyone. For me, imagination may mean thinking of giant rainbow-colored velvet worms who I'm best friends with. But other folks actually have a more conceptual imagination, something called aphantasia, which we'll discuss when we return. In the meantime, I'll be hanging out with my imaginary worm friends. This one's name is Frank. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Let's take a trip to Imagination Station to, well, hang on, what happens when we go to Imagination Station? It's actually different for everyone. Do you know how vivid your imagination is? Do you have a highly detailed visual imagination, or are you more conceptual, thinking in ideas? There's a test to see where you lie on this scale called the Vividness of Visual Imagery Questionnaire. You can actually take this test on a University of Exeter survey website, and I'll include a link to it in the show notes. But in the meantime, let's go on a very special Imagination Station tour of your imagination. So first of all, 
Imagine one of your friends, someone you see all the time. Now, really consider what picture is forming in your mind. Can you see their face? The color of their eyes? What about the pose they're in? Their hand gestures? Can you see the shirt they're wearing? What color is it? When they walk, what does their gait look like? Now, imagine the sun rising in a hazy sky. Can you see this vividly? Can you see the blue sky around the sun? Now, imagine a storm is coming. Can you see the clouds form around the sun, the light peeking through, maybe lightning illuminating the storm clouds from within? Now, imagine a giant hairy tarantula about to eat your butt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How vivid were these images? Could you see them with clarity in your mind's eye? Could you see vague shapes representing them? Or could you see, well, basically nothing but just the idea of these concepts? If you fall under the latter category, you may have aphantasia. So, Kim, where would you say your mind's eye lies under? Like, do you have a very vivid imagination? Do you kind of have a more representational imagination where you see kind of shapes? Or is it like purely conceptual where you don't actually see the thing, but you understand the concept and you're thinking of the concept? I think it's conceptual because I'll, I'll know what I want to draw when it comes to the comic. Right. But it's not until I'm actually doing lines where I'm like, eh, I don't love that. Let's right. try it this way. I would love to be more like visual in my head. It just yeah. doesn't work that way though. Well, it doesn't. And it's, I don't think there's anything to feel bad about necessarily, because mm -hmm. I think that uh, from what my research has told me is really creative people can have aphantasia. That doesn't mean you're not creative and not imaginative. It just means that your brain works in a different way. It doesn't visualize an object like it doesn't give you a photo of that object in your brain it just gives you sort of the emotion and the concept the intellectual concept of mm. that thing rather than that visual for me i'm actually i think kind of at the other end of the scale where i see very detailed i wouldn't say like photographic representations but very mm -hmm. highly detailed things yeah and uh that can be um, it, it it has its upsides, I guess, like you can imagine stuff in vivid detail. It also has its downsides because it can be anxiety inducing. And so I'm, I'm actually going to talk about hyperphantasia as mm -hmm. well and why that's not always such a great thing. I, I don't think I have hyperphantasia, but I think I'm kind of up there in terms of like, like seeing things in this like highly defined detail. And that can be that can be interesting. It can also be a little bit scary i don't know if, or see that like that never crossed my mind just being creative and like having focus on detail personally i always have thought it's going to be a good thing i'll use right. that to my advantage but you're totally right like minute detail and then concentrating on that like i get anxiety too and yeah. now it's kind of like horrifying <laughs> it could also be and it's not necessarily going to make you a better artist because if you have a very detailed image of what something's supposed to look like in your head it may actually be harder to draw it because you like say you're drawing from life or mm -hmm. understanding the physics of how you're supposed to draw something if you have an image that's in conflict with that and you're trying to draw your mental image rather than what the thing actually looks like you can get this like conflict and then it doesn't actually come out right. Not oh yeah. Not to say that it it's like 
anyone who has a vivid imagination can't do art. I'm, I just don't think it necessarily has an impact on whether you can be artistic or creative. And mm -hmm. in fact, like, I mean, it's great to hear from you because you're an artist and you're, you do comic art and it's highly creative and you are more, I, I mean, it's not, I'm not necessarily saying you have aphantasia. I can't like diagnose you with that, but you're I'll maybe, <laughs> well, you're maybe more on that end of, I think it's a spectrum. It's like you, maybe you're more on that end of the spectrum of more of a conceptual thinker. Mm -hmm. So first let's talk about what aphantasia is, how maybe it happens. So it's, it, it actually might be hard for people to understand like who are highly visual, like it might be actually kind of difficult to conceptualize what that means. So yeah. um, it's where your imagination works such that it's not that you visualize the thing in your mind. Um, so here's an example. And I've actually seen one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is there's this uh, kind of viral thing going around on Twitter where mm -hmm. it's it's a a picture where it's like a bunch of different apples. And it's like, imagine, it says, imagine an apple now, which one of these apples represents what you imagined. And then there's like a photo of an apple, kind of a, a drawing of an apple, oh, okay. and then a sort of blobby, like more cartoonish apple. And then mm -hmm. there's just sort of a vague sh apple-like shape. <laughs> and then there's like a blank, like you mm -hmm. don't see it at all. Where would you say you lie on that kind of? Oh, I mean, I can show, let me sh just show it to you. Twitter trends are just like all over the place sometimes. <laughs> I'm right there. But I can see like I can see that being devolved into a meme too. Mm -hmm. Like how I am my first glass of wine versus how <laughs> I am on my eighth bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah, so this is from Twitter user at premium underscore heart and she has this image of apples. So where would you there like number one is like a photo of an apple, number two is like a cartoon, three is like a grayish image, four is more of a blobish shape, and five is just like blank. Uh I would say it really depends on what kind of thing is going on in my head. So like today, I didn't post a new comic because I got stuck in the conception of I want this to be done. Mm -hmm. But every time I drew it out, it just it wasn't working. But in my head, it worked. So I would say maybe the grayish apple, like something's there. Right. But it's not it's not the fully detailed apple. Like right. I want it. Right. Yeah. And I, I would say I'm like, I I also think there's a range, and I, and I I think like even within like a single person, even mm -hmm. within like a single day, there's going to be a range of stuff. So if I'm yeah. thinking of someone I know, like I'm thinking of you know my boyfriend's face, I can see something very clear. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to think of like I don't know even a celebrity that I don't I'm I'm not too into, like I can't quite like I don't know. Well, now I can imagine Reese Witherspoon really clearly actually now that I think of it. Like she, she's just right in there. But yeah. I don't know a, a a more obscure celebrity. Now again, Danny DeVito, he's right there. Now I'm see, I'm trying to think of huh. a celebrity I'm not always thinking of, like Alton Brown. I oh, okay, yeah, that's extremely. He's the cook. The yeah, chef. yeah, good eats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like. Is he? Does he wear glasses? Even yes. Yeah, it's very vague. I'm thinking of an apple with glasses now. <laughs> but yeah, so it's so I would say I'm I'm more of the like either the kind of 
detailed photographic apple or cartoonish apple, kind of depending on where I'm at. But it's mm -hmm. usually like around there. And then you're on towards sort of the middle end of the spectrum where it's like the sort of grayish apple and then like the, the more blobby one. Like I think a good example is this happened a few years ago. Um, me and my friends went to the Hollywood Bowl to see a show. And I was newer to the area because I moved to California from uh, very rural Nevada, mm -hmm. but I was always looking for famous people. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to see Tom Hanks walking down the mm -hmm. street, right? But we were crossing the street and there was, I don't even know his name, but um, he was in in a couple of movies, but I had to, <laughs> <laughs> I had to Google bald comedian actor. <laughs> and, and Jason I, Statham? No. Um, <laughs> You know, Ben uh, Diesel. No, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh no, I can't. I'm just naming that. all the the like. <laughs> I think he's uh, he does Children's Hospital on like adults. Rob swim. Corddry, maybe. Rob Corddry, yeah. I saw that guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it he, was like I had the idea. I'm like, I connection, but yeah. it's not there. And he looks like an apple with sunglasses. Exactly. <laughs> Alton Brown's like twin. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, it's it's very interesting. And so for people who don't imagine anything, mm -hmm. like it's basically not, they don't see a visual representation at all. It's just the concept of Rob Corddry. It's, that's aphantasia. And uh, vividness of, like I said before, vividness of mental imagery is on a spectrum going basically from hyperphantasia, that's like extremely vivid, imagination to aphantasia where it's almost completely conceptual and researchers are it's kind of a new field of study it's not super well understood but there was a study published in cortex by Keo and Pearson who sought to examine whether aphantasia was actually your brain not coming up with the mental imagery or just mm -hmm. that you're not conscious of it so your brain is forming the like our consciousness is weird we can form things in our brain have information that is happening in our brain that we're just not conscious of. Yeah. But they did this, uh, it's called the binocular rivalry test. So our eyes, if you have information going into one eye and information going into the other eye, mm -hmm. it's processed in, in the brain like in different parts. So like if your eyes are presented with two different images and you're not seeing, like you're not seeing the shared image, like say you have a wall between those two images and you're just you're facing that wall there's the left image and the right image or another way to do it is actually to have one image be um be red and the other image be cyan that that blue color yeah and then you wear the the red and cyan blue uh glasses that are used in 3d mm -hmm. and you're wearing that and so you can only see the red one with the red side of the glasses and the blue one with the blue side of the glasses either way Essentially, you're presenting one image that only one eye can see and the other image that only the other eye can see. Mm -hmm. And what happens in the brain is actually your brain isn't necessarily combining these images. It is flipping back and forth between them. So, Like animation. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Which is interesting. But it eventually your brain will start to favor one image over the mm -hmm. other and the other image will fade away and the, the one image will become dominant. What happens is that for people who can imagine 
uh, images. And it's basically anyone who doesn't have aphantasia because these are very simple, like, shapes and patterns. And if you prime them by either showing them a very faint image that's mm-hmm. like barely consciously uh, perceivable, and then you you prime them with that, people will be more likely to like once your eyeballs are arguing over which <laughs> image your brain should be thinking about, it'll tend to think about that image that you were primed with. And it, it does that make sense? It does. And I'm just like, I'm absorbing this information and at the same time thinking, Thank God, like I'm not high because I would just go <laughs> like just random rabbit hole of like conception and visualization. And what if our brain is just an eyeball, man? Yeah, man. I just, <laughs> if we've never even seen our own eyeballs with our own eyeballs, and my eyeballs pick which one, it just <laughs> just slowly go into madness. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you're so. If you're also asked to imagine the sh- one of the shapes, mm-hmm. like that also you will be primed to pick that one as your, your eyeballs are taking. It's not really your eyeballs that are arguing over yeah. it. It's your brain that correspond, the parts of your brain that correspond with those visual fields that mm-hmm. are arguing over which image to decide on seeing, essentially. All right. So just, just to kind of do a quick recap summary. So <laughs> it's like you get one image in the left eye, one image in the right eye. Your brain argues over which to see, and you end up seeing one, like say it's the right image. Mm-hmm. And, you know, normally it basically corresponds with chance. Once you've controlled for like the dominant eye, we're not really going to get into yeah. that too much. It just kind of complicates things. But yeah, once you've controlled for that, it's basically random which image you choose. And then when you're primed with an image, it no longer is random. Your brain is like, oh, okay, let's actually do that image. We mm-hmm. decide to see that one rather the, than the other one. With people with aphantasia, that priming does not work. Oh, They remain <laughs> at chance in terms of which image they their brain decides on seeing when they're having that eyeballs argument. Mm-hmm. And essentially what that means is that People with aphantasia are not the, – the idea of why that uh, test, that binocular rivalry test works is that when that image is flashed in your brain, that priming image, mm-hmm. it creates a pattern of activation in the brain. Like you're, a pattern of activation being your neurons firing in a certain way. Yeah. And once that happens, it's actually lowered the threshold of that pattern being able to be reignited. Essentially, because your brain is conce- your brain is visualizing that it's it's actually forming that image in your head, mm-hmm. and then like when you're trying to argue over these which image to prefer later, that kind of image that has formed in your brain is still there, and it's like okay, what about this one? Essentially, so people with aphantasia mm-hmm. cannot be primed to favor one of these images, which basically that means that their brain is not forming that image in their imagination like uh-huh. they they can't they aren't forming that image so being primed with it earlier and having that image being imagined like mm-hmm. by the other participants isn't really happening for the people with aphantasia so when they go through the test they are still at random chance over which image they prefer even when they're primed with one of the images mm-hmm. so it's that's a really interesting test that shows like not only 
I mean, people with aphantasia probably are like, of course it's real, but obviously yeah. sometimes people are are doubtful of like, are you are you sure? Or are you just like not thinking hard enough? But Which okay, going back to being high is like full circle <laughs> because we can't conceptualize it, but they can right. because they can't. So. Right, exactly. Yes. Falling. See? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good thing I'm not high, like in the corner. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is a, this is not the podcast to necessarily get high on or to no. get very high on. I'm not sure. Don't do drugs, kids. This has been a production of Katie oh, Golden. Crap. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. So people with aphantasia, when they do tests that are measuring, like, how can you visualize this object? They're obviously mm-hmm. not visualizing it. Like, other people do. But when they're tested on spatial understanding and rotating objects in 3D space, they have, they're just as good as anyone else, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. So it's not, it's not that they're unable to understand physical concepts. Like this is something different. This is thought to maybe be a difference between the where and what pathways of the brain. So the two-stream process of visual perception is the hypothesis that your visual cortex processes what and where information along two different pathways. So what information is like what an apple looks like? Mm -hmm. What is an apple even? Yeah. Who even likes apples? Um, (laughs) And is is in the what pathway. And then where is like, where is the apple? Why Mm -hmm. is it being thrown towards my face? (laughs) Alton Uh, Brown, stop. (laughs) Where where is Alton Brown and where did this apple come from? Exactly. (laughs) So... The two-stream process isn't as clean-cut as it sounds, probably. So mm-hmm. recent research suggests that um, that what and where uh, pathways in the brain aren't completely separate processes. There's mm-hmm. some cross-pollination. There's some, like, you know, communication going on. And things aren't just neatly segmented into these different, like, pathways of the brain. But it's still a good heuristic to kind of understand, like, um, how visual process sort of works. So now, if I'm totally off like this just does not make sense for someone that needed glasses Mm -hmm. would that change like how they would have um aphantasia like i didn't get glasses until i was about 17 and Mm -hmm. then when i did holy (laughs) like (laughs) sorry i was blind (laughs) but would that like theoretically mess with my my uh, ideas on conception. I, I, That's a really interesting question. I don't know the answer to that, but that is a really, really interesting idea, which is that like, uh, as, because we do know that as babies mm-hmm. to young childhood, our, your brain is going under massive developmental changes. Yeah. So there certainly could be an environmental cause in the kind of different, maybe the way that the brain develops, like the the what pathway of the brain and, and the ability mm-hmm. to visualize things may in fact develop differently if your eyesight is different. I, I don't actually know if that's the case, but I think that's a really interesting question that you bring up. Well, I just... Because you're taking it in visually, you have aid now, and mm-hmm. is it even possible to make that chemical change in the trail? Like it, you mean like, well, it's our brains. So as we're developing, our brains 
grow and mm-hmm. develop. And it, it that growth of our neural pathways and the way our brains work essentially is definitely shaped by environment. Mm-hmm. In this specific instance, I don't know if like eyesight change in childhood would have an impact on aphantasia. I, I, I don't know one way or the other, but I, it's not a crazy idea at all. Okay. Like the idea that <laughs> I, I think I want to do a whole episode on like on stuff like that where how the brain can change throughout development depending on different environmental factors, especially when you're, say, you uh, experience blindness or yeah. uh, or hearing dif- impairment or something and how that uh, causes changes in the development of the brain because it certainly does. Well, you see like all those viral videos of um, either a deaf child or a blind person or colorblind. Right. Let's put it that way. So a guy's never seen color, finally got these special glasses to see color and then he cries, I cry, we all cry. <laughs> Everyone's sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it would totally change how, like, what do you mean the sky's the same color right, as water? Right. Like, it just... Right. Well, no, I, I certainly I, I certainly think that must have a an effect on brain development. I don't know what that effect necessarily is and what how that, that shakes out. It's not... It's not necessarily that's not to say like someone who has color blindness or visual impairment from a young age that's gonna you know quote unquote mess up your brain oh, or anything oh, like yeah. that. No, I know I you're not. That. I know you're not saying that. I'm just clarifying that. But like that, it's it's it is interesting. Like our sort of the I guess like our outer shells, which is like our eyeballs and stuff. Mm-hmm. This outer our sensory equipment. If that yeah. changes, if that's like different. It will affect like what's happening in our brains, and it will ch- probably have an impact on development. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's a very interesting point, right? So, like that two-stream process that we were talking about. Let me get into kind of the anatomy of that. You have the what pathway, which is uh, processed in the ventral stream. So that's basically along sort of the undercarriage of the brain, roughly speaking. And the where information, um, like where where is a thing, is Mm -hmm. processed on the dorsal stream. So that's around the top of the head. I mean, think of like a dorsal fin, like Mm -hmm. around the sort of like, you know, like if your brain had a big dorsal fin on it, but it doesn't. (laughs) That's... My brain has a blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> but, and so that's the that's the wear pathway. Like I said earlier, it's not as super segmented. Like it's not like everything to do with location is in that dorsal stream and everything to do with what a thing is and that there's not like cross parallel activation going on. That's not there certainly is that. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, you have more activity in those parts of the brain. Okay. So for people with aphantasia, there's this theory that the what pathway, that that um, ventral stream mm-hmm. under the brain is different from the general population without aphantasia, um, whereas the where pathway on mm-hmm. the dorsal stream at the top of the brain is per- probably functioning in the same way. And that's why they can do tests where they are able to do spatial reasoning and you know rotating 3D objects and all that perfectly fine, mm-hmm. um, but that their their um, their what is the item is functioning differently, not functioning worse, 
but functioning differently. To that point, I want to talk about that aphantasia sounds like, oh, it's the opposite of fantasia, and therefore people with aphantasia have no imagination. (laughs) Totally not true. I mean, first of all, Kim, you are not, you're maybe on, I wouldn't say you have aphantasia based on what you said, Mm -hmm. but you are definitely like more conceptual in your thinking. Yes. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'll have a great idea, but tell me to put it together. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably are similar to some famous animators. So um, your brain, thinking in concepts doesn't mean you're not thinking with clarity or with mm-hmm. detail. You're just thinking in conceptual and emotional detail. Um, so like, Here's the difference between like visual detail, like an image and a concept. So like a visual thing would be a picture of a house and you can mm-hmm. see the bricks, you can see the the doors, the dorners and the buttresses and other archaeology or <laughs> other architectural <laughs> things. The bones in the, the backyard. The bones popping out everywhere. <laughs> what? You don't have bones in your house? Bodies in the wall. This is a true crime. <laughs> no. uh, but then a concept would be home. Mm-hmm. That's a more vague thing. That's like, that's where you feel comfortable. That's where you can kick back. Maybe a house doesn't just pop in your head, but your family, the idea of being with family, of being able to relax and like pick your nose and nobody judges you. Here's another one, like a picture of like a fat stack of cash, like a bunch of dollar bills stacked together, you know, just like, I don't know, like several $20 bills, fat stacks of cash, more cash than you can imagine. Or versus like the concept of success is that's like a concept. That's an idea. Um, So people with aphantasia, when you say imagine stacks of cash, Mm -hmm. they're not thinking of a picture of stacks of cash. They're thinking of the concept of stacks of cash. Does that that kind of make sense? Yeah. Well, it's all about one's perception like right success to me would have been going to my high school reunion and be like suck it people like <laughs> doing great that is success success to me would be absolutely covered in velvet worms <sighs> they're so cute <laughs> i'm sorry I, it's my most recent they're a very cute group of worms called velvet worms and we actually talk about them in my uh previous episode love I was, bugs i was gonna say i tried like bugs Great. Mm-hmm. Just over there. Just stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah. I got I get you. I get you. Well, let's talk about animation then because I have okay. a feeling you'll enjoy that more. So uh, <laughs> like I said, people with aphantasia can be in and often are in creative fields. So uh, ex-Pixar president Ed Catmull had aphantasia. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. Actually, I don't know why I said had. I think he's still alive. <laughs> he's cured? <but laughs> no, That's no. why he's the he, ex-president. Yeah. <laughs> and so he he reportedly has a fantasia where he says, yeah, I don't visualize things in my head. It only is like once I put it out there on paper that it exists. Ed hit me up. <laughs> we could chat. And it doesn't stop there. Uh, Glenn Keane, the character <gasps> design. Oh, I'm Little Mermaid. Mer- Little Mermaid, oh. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and more. He's the character designer and supervising animator. He also has aphantasia. Dude, that makes so much sense because I'm obviously a Disney yes. nut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, all on the DVDs of the animated 
movies, I would watch the bonus content like religiously. But there's always the segment of coming up with Ariel or Jasmine. Mm -hmm. And it's always like my cousin's sister or that's your cousin. But you know (laughs) what I mean? They would take references and then piece it together to find Ariel. Right. You know? Yeah. That all come together. <laughs> also, his initial sketches of Ariel are not even really human. It's just like it, like these big strokes that are very expressive, yeah. vaguely human-shaped, or I guess human-fish-shaped. Yes. Um, and they are extremely expressive, but they mm-hmm. don't have a face. And then he just kind of works on it and works on it until he gets Ariel as you know her. So he's yeah. working from, and I think it's actually probably his strength, he's not working from a photographic image of what he sees Ariel to be. He's working from this concept, this emotional concept of what her personality mm-hmm. is, and then he's putting that in the strokes. And then because you can still be an artist and have aphantasia because you know how, like, the technical skill of art, yeah. um, you know, then he can create her from that first expressive thing. And it's really, I I think it, you know, you can view it as not necessarily a weakness to have that. No, I would definitely say it's worked out for him. (laughs) It it is really neat to take something broad and then condense, condense, condense. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. So on the other end of that sort of uh, visualization scale is hyperphantasia. So hyperphantasia is extremely vivid imagination to the point where one person who had self-reported having hyper hyperphantasia said she passed out after reading a story in which someone steps on a nail because she visualized it in such vivid detail. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not always great <laughs> to to be able to imagine in such vivid detail. It can actually be anxiety inducing. Mm -hmm. Hyperphantasia hasn't actually been studied all that much. So it's relatively mysterious. Um, And I want to make it clear, though, hyperphantasia is different from hallucination. You're not Mm -hmm. seeing something before your eyes. You're you're seeing something in your imagination. You know, it's your imagination. Yeah, it's I I think it's a very interesting thing. I, I know that like, I was an extremely strong daydreamer when I was a kid, and I would visualize things in very precise detail. One of my favorite things to do when I was bored in class was to imagine, like, some kind of monster come in and just, like, throw (laughs) chairs and tables around. (laughs) Not hurt anyone. I wasn't, you know, an evil kid, but just, like, cause chaos. And it was fun to imagine, like, a monster crawling on the ceiling and, like, you know, tossing chairs around and tearing into the whiteboard and things like that. Exactly. No homework. No homework. (laughs) But uh, hallucination is different. And I do want to talk about hallucination just because I think that there's some misconceptions about what qualifies as hallucination and what it is. Mm -hmm. Because it's not not necessarily imagination and overactive imagination. That's not really what a hallucination is. But it's also not always associated with psychosis. So um, hallucinations, obviously, you are seeing visually something that isn't there, and Mm -hmm. you're processing it as visual information, but it's actually not existing. Um, It's often associated with schizophrenia, substance abuse, psychosis, or dementia, but it's not always the case that someone who experiences hallucination has experiences any of those conditions. So people who have hallucinations aren't always delusional, 
meaning that they understand that they're having hallucinations. So a good example of this is Charles Bonnet syndrome. Um, this is a condition when your eyesight is failing mm-hmm. and your brain, so the condition isn't that your eyesight is failing. Maybe your eyesight is failing because of macular degeneration, just from normal aging, but your brain is filling in the missing information with visual hallucinations. Um, so People with Charles Bonnet syndrome are often aware that these hallucinations aren't real, but they can be as simple as just sort of floating shapes and patterns to being as complex as a person standing there or like Mm -hmm. a landscape. Uh, And probably it depends on like how um, detailed people's visual imaginations are and how that that could, might tie into Charles Bonnet syndrome. That just sounds honestly very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people who have it's not always a frightening experience, mm-hmm. although it can be very disorienting when you first start to experience it. Yeah. It's, I, I think that one of the treatment plans for it is being able to understand, like just having that meta awareness of like what's happening, that these are hallucinations, that you're not you know, quote unquote crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, not to say that people who have um, mental illness that causes the hallucinations, I, I still don't, I wouldn't call that quote unquote crazy. But, yeah. um, but it's not, it, it's that you are basically your brain is like, okay, usually like I would be able to see this whole scene, but there's a mm-hmm. big chunk missing. So I'm going to add in what is there, what should be there. Mm-hmm. And we actually do this all the time. Like, and you have a blind spot right now that you don't see as being a blind spot because your brain is filling in all that information. Yeah. And it's like, no, there's probably more wall going this way. So you see it, that wall isn't there. Mm-hmm. Technically speaking, that's a hallucination, but it's, you know. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're, now, now you, you're already, making... you already told me that you're not high, so you have no excuses. <laughs> no, it's just now it's, I don't know, that, that was just kind of, a trip in itself. You're, like, <laughs> you're right. I'm not looking at a wall, but there is a yeah. wall behind. Oh my gosh. Getting high on knowledge. High on life. <laughs> Can animals hallucinate? Do you think scientists would give rats and monkeys cocaine to find out? Do you think these studies would have happened in the 70s? Well, if you answered yes to all these questions, congratulations! In the 1970s, a number of studies examined cocaine and amphetamine use in humans, rats, and monkeys. Measuring hallucinations in humans is more straightforward than in animals, because the people taking the drugs, either in laboratory settings or on their own, are able to report their own hallucinations. One of the more common ones is that of bugs or parasites on your skin. And those suffering these hallucinations can even scratch wounds or scars into their own skin. When rats and monkeys were given doses of amphetamines and cocaine over the course of several days, though they can't self-report having hallucinations, they showed behavioral signs. They engaged in increased grooming behavior, apparently trying to rid themselves of imaginary parasites or trying to shake them off. I guess the real lesson to be learned here is don't deal drugs to rats? Anyways, when we return, we're going to explore how real life can be more incredible than what your imagination can come up with. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. For those who have highly vivid visual imaginations or highly conceptual imaginations, the interesting thing about the human mind is that we can either visualize or conceptualize things that don't exist in reality. For instance, if I told you to imagine a giraffe with a beak and wings, you could do it. Or if I told you to imagine a turtle the size of a car, it's a piece of cake. Now, here's the fun part. Both of these things actually exist. Well, existed. The Quetzalcoatlus northropi was a giant pterodactyl-like pterosaur the size of a giraffe who could fly. It's extinct now, as is the giant turtle, the Stupendemis geographicus, who was the size of a car, as evidenced by its huge fossilized shell recently found in Venezuela's Urumaco region. So any kind of absurd imaginary animal you concoct, I may have a real example for you. So, okay, I, I don't know if this game is gonna work or not, but try to imagine a ridiculous animal and let me see if I can think of a real one that's similar. Oh man, a ridiculous animal. Okay. A Yorkie. No. <laughs> a Yorkie. <laughs> Those aren't real. No. You got me. Um, okay, so Ooh, put on the spot. Sorry, we can you no, can take I as like, long as you need. I like this game. Um I would say body of a hippo. Okay. 
but with a head like a cow. Okay, it just sounds like a cow at this point, but with feathers. With feathers. Okay, let me think. This is probably going to be a dinosaur of some kind because they did have feathers and they have really interesting heads. So I'm going to say, I don't know dinosaurs that well, but let me try to think of this guy. Quick answer, my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's lovely, but she doesn't listen to podcasts. Or <laughs> <laughs> See, when you were talking about uh, the giraffe with a beak, I was thinking of like a squid's beak on mm. a giraffe. Mm-hmm. That would be, that's far out there. Like that kind of imagination, thought process, I kind of associate with Monty Python and mm. that kind of art. <laughs> Just almost obscene, obscure, but very highly Actually, detailed. Actually, you know what? The answer to this is extremely easy. I just realized what? probably what you're thinking of is a triceratops because <gasps> they probably had feathers. Mm-hmm. They were big and thick like a hippo, <sighs> and they have a head that's kind of like a cow because they've got horns like a steer, mm-hmm. and they're herbivores, and they've got sort of a cow-like head with an added sort of Squid yeah. beak-like thing. Yeah. Oh, sure. Made made that a little bit more creative. <laughs> Quick, Kim, be creative. A uh, cow. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if I told you that there is you have you you can imagine a manta ray, right? Oh yeah. What about a pink one? Like an albino one? Nope. Like a bright, hot Lisa Frank <laughs> pink manta ray. <laughs> That would be sick, but it's hard to think of an animal that's bright pink in my mind. Well, then why don't I just show you? Okay. This is a real, <laughs> real guy. So here's the bright pink manta ray. <laughs> now, why is that? Like, are they ven- ven- venomous? Nope, nope. And in fact, most manta rays are not pink like that. In fact, I would say 99.999% of manta rays are not going to be that color of bright fuchsia pink. But this manta ray is real. It's not a Photoshop. Just so happens that this individual manta ray Mm -hmm. has a genetic condition that makes it bright pink. So this guy's name is Inspector Clouseau, the manta ray, the the reef manta ray, which is named after the detective in the Pink Panther movies. Uh, It was found off the coast of Australia, and it's actually been observed and photographed numerous times. And it is completely naturally pink. There's no dyes, no pollution or anything causing this. Uh, It's thought to be caused by a genetic condition called erythism. Wait, nope. Erythism. Erythrism. So -hmm. that's similar to being albino, where you lack pigment, or melanistic, where Mm -hmm. you have darker pigment. So, like the melanistic squirrels uh, that live in Northern California and on the East Coast have that, those black coats, or an albino uh, crow will have white feathers. But this, this, uh, (laughs) this reef manta ray has. erythrism, Mm -hmm. which causes that pink pigment to be more prevalent. Even though he's so brightly unnaturally pink, biologists aren't too worried about his survival chances. Mm -hmm. Reef manta rays are huge. Adult reef manta rays can grow from 9 to 18 feet wide and weigh up to a ton. 
Yeah. So he's a big pink boy. <laughs> I mean, it's like that episode of The Simpsons where, where Homer wears the, the pink shirt to work and, and he's yes. worried everyone will make fun of him, but instead everyone's super into it. Yes. Also, like, if he, he gets made fun of, I mean, like, he's so big, like, he can just, like, slap you with his big old flappy body. <laughs> exactly. I was just thinking, like, either he owns the crap out of that, like, yeah. he's I'm pink, excuse me. (laughs) Or he just like abhors the color and just blends into the natural environment as much as possible. I'm going to hope that he owns it, honestly. Same here. And personally, I like a guy in a pink shirt. Yes. You know? Confidence. Confidence. You know, I think pink is a great color. It's actually funny because back in the olden times, like in the 1700s, Pink was considered to be a boy's color and blue is a girl's color with like children. So like a boy would wear pink Mm -hmm. because that was considered to be sort of a lighter version, a baby version of red. And red is the color of men because it's manly and bloodshed. And (laughs) and blue is like, blue is the color of Virgin Mary. So of course we want it on our baby girls. That's not weird at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah. Let's just switch that up 100 years (laughs) later. Everybody, whoever wants to wear pink, wear pink i think it's awesome including manta rays yeah so i I do kind of want to talk about manta rays a little bit they are gentle giants who feed on zooplankton um they look super alien uh so they almost i mean i feel like they don't even register as fish although they are fish but they don't look like a normal fish so they kind of register as like a different type of animal like almost like a a jellyfish or something that wouldn't have a brain, but they do Mm. have brains. And in fact, they are complex with developed social intelligence. Actually, the reef uh, manta ray's cousin, the giant manta ray, has the biggest brain of all fish. Now, that doesn't mean they're the smartest. Like we've talked about on the show before, brain size doesn't correlate uh, absolutely to intelligence. But they do have a brain, and it's a big one. So reef mantas recently have been discovered to form close friendships and bonds with each other. Females will often hang out in cliques and Mm -hmm. just like, Hang out. Oh, my God. I was just thinking, like, mean girls. <laughs> Wednesdays, we wear pink. Girl, I am pink. I just... <laughs> Trop, stop trying to make kelp happen. It's not going to happen. There are other cliques that consist of females, males, and juveniles. The idea is that females often congregate together because, like, when you have a big group of females, they can, like, if they're not in the mood for, Mm -hmm. like, receiving mating rituals from males, then, like, they basically intimidate the males from approaching (laughs) them, just like the buddy system at bars works or at nightclubs where it's, like, if you want to, like, kind of intimidate the creepoids, you hang out with a big group of girls. Mm Mm-hmm. That dude in the pink has been staring at me for an hour. I'd be into it. I don't know. Just, yeah, no, just subtle vibes. Yeah. Subtle vibes. Yeah. So they also seem to remember companions and hang out with them. They're not at the same level of dolphins who can remember their companions for years. Mm-hmm. In fact, some dolphins have been found to have friendships that last their entire lifetime. But uh, the manta rays can at least seem to hang out with certain individuals over the course of a few weeks to months. So they're social butterflies, but they they are social butterflies. So they'll move on from you eventually. Damn. I know, right? (laughs) I'm not as popular as them. (laughs) (laughs) They can also communicate through brightening the white patches on their back when interacting with each other. And it's not quite understood what this means. It could 
just be like excitement, like a dog wagging its tail. Uh, Blushing, maybe? Blushing, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. They look so incredibly alien. They look like a spaceship. So it's hard to imagine them having like a personality, but they do. Yeah, like saying put a face on this animal where mm, there's several places that all look wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, the face, if uh, if you really want to know, like its eyes are kind of here and then it's usually got a little mouth here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when a, when a ray will, if you can see its belly, especially like baby rays, they have a cute little, little yeah. face down there. Uh, Actually, what looks like its eyeballs are not are not eyeballs down there, but they are um, breathing it, holes. Yeah, it makes it look like it's a little smiley face, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to play that game again of like you imagine an animal, and I try to match it with an animal of my own. But this time, okay. think of just the craziest insect you can think of. I can do that. <laughs> they they're kind of scary to me, so it's easier to be more. Um, Detailed, I guess. Like <laughs> fear does drive detail. Yeah. Yeah. What I don't like just times it by ten. So, <laughs> uh, I think of a bug that has fifteen-ish legs, not like a centipede or a millipede, mm-hmm. but that, and then eyes on the bottom of those legs, plus having hair, and then like the Warshak test, where its face should be. <laughs> You know what? I think the closest thing I can think of is not necessarily an insect, but an arthropod, and that would be a lobster with, <laughs> uh, but a lobster that has a uh, sort of a coloration abnormality where it's actually they're called calico lobsters. Let me show you a picture of it. Now, admittedly, its eyeballs aren't all on the end of its legs, but mm-hmm. they do have like the eye stalks. Uh, yeah. So here's a. Here's a calico lobster. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That kind of works. That does work. We need to get that blue lobster, Mm -hmm. hook it up with the pink manta ray, and then we've got to find, like, bright orange. Well, that's Nemo. (laughs) Nemo, the pink manta ray, and the blue lobster. Pixar, Ed, Ed. (laughs) I'm telling you, Ed. There is a... A bug that is called the troll-haired mystery bug, which is a real thing, although it doesn't necessarily describe a real species. Okay, let me explain. Okay. So this is a bug that looks like a party horn or an alien with like a rainbow iridescent makeup brush or like like fiber optic cables sticking out of its butt. Let me just show you. Sounds extra. Oh. It's like someone went to a rave and vomited. (laughs) Like having all those glow sticks, because it does look like the fiber optics kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Looks like fiber optic cable glow sticks coming out of its butt. Um, Is it the butt part? Yeah, it is. It's the rear abdomen. Uh, It's not the anus, but it is the (laughs) butt area. So this is a photograph by Tron Larson, which is depicting what could potentially be a new species of plant hopper insect. This was found in Suriname, but this could also be the juvenile form of an already documented species. We just don't know. There's so many dang insect species out there. Sometimes is. Yeah, sometimes you find one that looks like a new species, but Mm -hmm. then it's just like a juvenile or in a weird phase of its molting. Um, But uh, the plant hoppers in general are really interesting. So 
the nymph forms of these plant hoppers actually mm -hmm. have these biological gears in their legs that allow that allow their legs to basically snap in a really powerful spring-loaded jump that oh uh, scary bugs <laughs> <laughs> i don't think they're too scary because they're very small mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them actually look like leaves okay i i know i had some of these i think in san diego they kind of looked a little bit leaf shaped and if you'd hold one mm -hmm. and like it's this teeny tiny bug and then like you could only hold it for a little while before it like basically just vanished because it was jumping and it jumped so hard you could feel like a little bit of pressure even though they're so tiny crazy yeah but to explain the the butt confetti. <laughs> um, many species of plant hoppers have abdominal filaments, which are these broom-like hairs that are actually made of ketoester wax, which they produce by converting plant juices that they eat. Ugh. <laughs> Sounds like me with Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just, it's just like this, like rainbow. So, like if you ate like Taco Bell and then immediately had one of those unicorn uh, yes. lattes. Or what is it, like the unicorn I frappe from, from Starbucks? Yeah, something. Frappuccino. Bright pink yeah. and sparkles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible. Hor hor horrible. Uh, awful-fying. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible and awful-fying. <laughs> I don't hate myself that much, do I? <laughs> no. Um, but the this plume of waxy hairs that do look like an, a troll doll head protects them from predators who don't want a mouthful of hairy ass wax. <laughs> and uh, parasitoids, which are parasites that try to like get inside your body, um, but they can't navigate around all that hairy wax and get inside the the um, plant hopper. And a lot of different species of plant hopper do this. And it's like the, the shape that their their weird butt wax takes can be variable. So let me show you a few. Now, I think this is awesome looking. Okay. You may find it a little bit weird. Okay. Like, that's that seems a bit more traditional <laughs> traditional <laughs> like, ass wax yeah it looks would you like to go with new age ass wax or traditional <laughs> um yeah this is like it they look sort of like it looks like a bug but then it's all screwed up in the back like yeah the, like a bug that partially exploded into uh what's that like like that foam like cocking foam or something yeah yeah and then here's another one <laughs> This one just more has a broom butt. Oh, it looks like it's in pain. It looks like <laughs> someone pushed it in. Someone the... shoved a broom up its butt. That was a date night. Like, no <laughs> safety word was established. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very embarrassing trip to the emergency room. Oh, man. X-ray uh, not needed. <laughs> here's another one with a sort of brushy, brushy butt. Uh, this one more looks like a paintbrush butt to me, but like a paintbrush that you haven't been taking care of, I guess. It's, yeah, that one almost kind of looks like a shrimp. I don't. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's kind of shrimp shaped. Yeah, but with a very fluffy butt. <laughs> see, I think I have one more. Yeah, here's one. This looks like an adult because it's got wings, mm -hmm. and then it just has these butt fronds that they almost look like bird feathers. They do, like. Or kind of twigs because it has the pieces coming out. Yeah, like roots. Too. Yeah, like, like roots. roots. Yeah, roots are better. Like plant roots coming out of it. Well, that's awesome and not horrifying at all. Nope, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I'll definitely I'll include pictures of all these these uh, grass or sorry, all of these plant hoppers in the description. But if you want to Google it, if you 
I think if you just Google Harry Plant Hopper, that should be safe. Yeah, yeah. I think don't... safe search on for sure. Definitely. <laughs> Broomstick up the butt is one thing. No, you don't... don't do don't don't do a Google of that, please. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you got yeah. anything to plug? You want to talk a little bit about your comics and where people can find them? Sure. Um, oh, wow. Totally mind blank. Instagram, uh, Twitter. It's a Fantasia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can conceptualize that I have accounts. <laughs> <laughs> um, the red dot, uh, the underscore underscore red dot. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, red dot comics. I'm on Reddit, browsing, lurking getting down boats <laughs> i'm around so yeah this was fun yeah thank you so much for joining me this is a this is a fun one in, in exploring the imagination land <laughs> you looked visibly frightened that i was about to sing i i don't sing i don't talk well and yet here i am it's just, i'm evolving backwards i guess <laughs> so you can find us uh, where can I? I'm drawing a blank too. Creature Feet Pod on Twitter, Creature Feature Pod on Instagram. Wait, no, I did that backwards. Let's try this again. <laughs> Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That's something very different. On the internet, you can find us on the iHeart website. Just search for Creature Feature. And you can find me at Katie Golden. And as always, I am pro-bird rights, where I am fighting for the rights of birds to Ooh. take over as the dominant species of the planet. Yes. Yes. Bird 2020. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating, subscribe, download, leave a review, all those things. It actually really, really helps me out. Gets us, gets us up in that algorithm. <laughs> Amen. So please, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super imaginative song, Exolumino. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. To listen to more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit iHeartRadio.com, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. 
Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.